Welcome to Our Jewish Roots. The Word of God has given us examples of faith that have shaped virtually every aspect of the believer's life today. Where would we be without the examples of Noah, Abraham, and Isaac, David, and ultimately that of Yeshua, Jesus? Faith is woven into the fabric of America as well. From the Pilgrims to John Adams, to Patrick Henry and George Washington, God's providential hand remained highly esteemed and honored above all. Faith unshakable, faith unstoppable, faith of our fathers. We're so glad you've joined us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. Jeffrey Seif, and yes, thank you for tuning in. You're gonna be glad you did. Good stuff on the menu. I think you're gonna be speaking about how our actions speak louder than our words. Yes. Is that right? That's a very grandparenty kind of thing to say, isn't it? Well, I was thinking <laughs> when you said it, my mother said that to me. <laughs> totally, but it's true, isn't it? It is. It is. Let's look now how faith prompts activity. Let's go to Dr. Seif's teaching right now. I'd like to put a rhetorical question to you. Rhetorical question is said for effect. Of course, you can't really answer me, but you can answer it for yourself if you can. And the question is, how can you, how can I, how can we claim to know anything about the faith of our fathers? By that I mean, it's sufficient for us to know what, what, what resides in our own hearts and minds. Never mind lay, sage, lay siege to the claim to know somebody else's. Never mind individuals that are centuries removed in the sense of our fathers of our culture or millennia removed in the case of biblical personalities. Do you know how come we can know it? Because they wrote. They wrote on scrolls. Now, I don't want to carry 66 of these around. I'm glad I have this. <laughs> and this gives you a window into the hearts and minds of the authors. As it says, the long arm of the pen reaches beyond the grave. Because they write, we can get a window into their world. Speaking of which, uh, it's an action-packed world to be sure. Walking by faith, these, this wasn't a group of philosophers. These were people on the move. They were doing. Uh, they, they were active. Faith prompts activity and movement. It, it prompts dare. And I mentioned that. I'm looking here in the Matean Gospel. There's a story. You know, Jesus walked on water. Well, that's Jesus. There was once upon a time a story when Peter got out there and took a shot at it, and it didn't work out so well. Well, it did at first, um, but he braved the hazards of it. I'm looking in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're told in verse 28, now Peter is there in the boat with the fellows, that is the fellowship. <laughs> He's there and he sees the Lord walking and Peter says in verse uh, 28, Master or Rabbi, uh, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He says, all right, come on. And, uh, you know, faith prompts us to walk in dangerous places. I don't care whether it's John the Baptist who just puts it out there in the midst of a, of a cantankerous crowd, you know, you brood of vipers, you know. Faith prompts us to challenge. Uh, John the Baptist does it. I can think of our first martyr, Stephen, in the book that we call Acts, where he just was emboldened 
uh, in the Holy Spirit and he just uh, you know spoke truth there's a kind of divine activity there in the words as he recounts the activity of God working with Hebrew people well there's movement in the literature and Peter says hey come on let me get out there with you and um, the Lord says come and we're told in 29 then that uh, he got out of the boat and walked on the water so far so good but then he started to assess the moment and I get that we're told he sees the the wind uh, and then he becomes terrified you know it's 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 easy to be terrified it's easy to be scared because faith will prompt us and I said this earlier faith prompts us to take on that which is bigger and stronger than us uncertainties whether it's raging waters or whether it's raging people you know oftentimes there are tyrants uh, and so it is uh, the Lord says we're like a sheep amongst wolves and you know wolves howl and I can think of the saliva dripping from jaws and I can think of fiery eyes that want to get a piece of flesh you know it's scary stuff when you think about it and uh, to be sure um, here's a story here we're taking on raging waters not 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 raging wolves but the point is is the rage gets out of the cage and we go after it and uh, the good news is that God gives us a victory now we, we we know the story here Peter had a victory it got away from him when I think of the faith of our fathers um, certainly when I look and you know in this series we have an expert better than me I love uh, uh, those of you that support us, you, you not only bring us to Bible lands, but you enable us to bring people to offer a telling of things. People are a lot smarter than me, and David Barton is just the best of the best when it comes to understanding the faith of our founding fathers, and they alight upon the stories in this book. <laughs> As I'd said, I'm so glad people wrote it out in scrolls. I'm glad for the innovations that got it into a book so that we can have a look at the end of the day, we want to be able to get into biblical literature to learn about biblical fathers, our nation's founders, and you know what? We can learn a few things about how we can take on the struggles of the day because the truth of the matter is we all have to tackle the giants. I think of the tyrants uh, that uh, were raising their hoary heads when our founders uh, declared their independence. They drew a line in the sand and said enough already. And uh, uh, they uh, were the better for it because they did it. Um, it wasn't easy, and we know it wasn't easy. We read their writings, and, uh, and we read the prayers. Uh, we read how hearts and minds were taken to the Bible. Stories like the ones that I've mentioned in this particular segment. Peter got scared. He learned a lesson there about faith. Uh, uh, we, we, we see examples, John the Baptist, he had to stare him down, you know, and he just had to look beyond the faces of the people that were angry at him. And Stephen did much the same. We're, we're, we're told as much in the book of Acts that he, he looked up to heaven and got a vision of glory, saw the Lord. And, you know, that's what it takes. The Lord, we're told in the Bible, is the lifter of our heads. Well, I love the story here. Peter was sinking. It's an old story, and you know it. He, he, he sees the wind. In verse 30, he becomes terrified, and he begins to sink. Subsequent to which he cries out, Lord, help. And the Lord said, hey, man, can't believe you did me like that. Man, he didn't get all over him because he dropped the ball. 
Lord could have done it, you know. Hey, man, heaven have taught you anything? Look, you know, I mean, it's... But, but he wasn't like that. He was gracious. He, 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 the same one who said, come to me, uh, gave him a hand when he, he started to falter. And, you know, that is so good. I love the good news. The gospel, by the way, is a word good news. And there's so much grace in all of that. And I love it here where Peter cries out, Lord, or Master, save me, or Rabbi, save me. Immediately, we're told, Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, it's a rebuke, yeah, it's a slap on the wrist, and people go, Oh, Peter really dropped the ball. I can't believe he took his eyes off of Jesus. Well, I don't see anybody else trying to get out of the boat. You know, I mean, it's, uh, as, as I said in this program, you know, faith prompts activity, and, and God bless him, at least he's trying, you know, and the Lord gives him a grace, and it's the proverbial, the Lord extends him a hand. What do you think? And helps Peter go on to be the great that he indeed turned out to be. Would it be that all of us are rebounded? You know, the Bible says the righteous fall seven times and get up again. Would it be that we all rebound from defeats? Truth be known, Peter didn't always get it right. He lost a few battles. Truth be known, the founders in our culture lost a few battles when they were taken on the British. But you know what? Uh, we, we get back up, we live and we learn, and we get back into the game because faith prompts activity. It's a noble cause. It's a noble vision. They wanted a godly country. Our founders fought for it. And isn't it good that we can look at the Bible just as they did and learn about the faith of our fathers? Our resource this week, the series Faith of Our Fathers on DVD. These eight programs reveal how the creation of Israel in the Old Testament inspired a future generation to carve out a modern yet godly nation in the new world. This series features Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Seif, interviews with Christian historian David Barton, plus dramatic reenactments of colonial times. Contact us for your own copy of Faith of Our Fathers. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. For many, a trip to the Holy Land is the dream of a lifetime. The Bible truly comes alive as you see the sites where so many biblical events happened. Come on a Zola tour to see Israel and Petra. See the land of the Bible for yourself. Contact us to reserve your dream of a lifetime. Many of you have heard the question that's been asked to us many times on an Israel tour. What's your favorite part of your Israel tour? And it's really hard to pinpoint, but I would say that many folks that go on our tour love the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias. It is. Uh, Jeff was teaching about Peter's 
faith, the faith of our founding fathers, the faith to walk out on that water. And the greatest thing is you get to be on that same body of water. It's one of our favorite places to go ever. Test your faith on the Sea of Galilee. Go with us. We go two times a year. Yes. You know, and if you can't go with us, uh, watch us. We bring it to you. And we bring it to you because uh, individuals help us to do that. Someone said the other day, they, they said, Jeff, I really enjoy your teaching on, on television. I, I appreciate that. When I went to Bible school to learn all this, uh, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. Someone donated, someone set up a fund to help someone to get to Bible school. And I was trained because someone cared to share. Uh, thank you in advance for caring and sharing and helping us to, by virtue of your loving us in not just word and speech, but in deed and in truth and making a donation to this ministry. Thank you. We do thank all of you and we thank you for watching this series and in particular our retelling of a part of America's history. We've watched how Betsy Ross has literally put together our very first flag and we've also heard some incredible nuggets of godly wisdom. Let's go back in time again. Here we are in 1776. In the formative days of our nation, there were some who thought it important to remain loyal to the British king. Others rejected the monarchy, favoring liberty. Meanwhile, there were still others in Philadelphia, unknown figures in history who considered the godly direction of the Founding Fathers vitally important. So clear and yet profound. Unless this house is built on solid ground, it will surely fail. Will we recall these precepts? We must. Lord, please, please continue to guide my hand that I might clearly transcribe these extraordinary words of wisdom and virtue and guide my steps this day to those who need to hear them. Welcome. Good day, Betsy. Betsy, your flag is coming along nicely. Shall I assume the stars are about to unfold? Yes, sir. Mr. Washington suggested stars that were six-pointed, but I suggested it would be easier and more expedient to make five-pointed stars. Oh? And how's that? I'll make a larger star, just so you can see how it's done. I've already pre-folded this piece of fabric. Now, I just make a cut with the scissors. And... I've never seen such. It's extraordinary. It seems appropriate, because I've brought with me today some thoughts from an extraordinary scientist you know well, Mr. Benjamin Franklin. I so admire him. A statesman and a wonderful author as well. He, like many others who've just signed our Declaration of Independence, has placed great importance on Almighty God. He was selected to be part of the committee to draft an official seal for our nation. And Mr. Franklin proposed Moses lifting up his wand and dividing the Red Sea, and Pharaoh in his chariot, overwhelmed with the waters. 
accompanied by the motto, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Sir, I've heard tell that Mr. Franklin believes that God did in fact create the universe, but then he withdrew, having nothing to do with us since that creation. Uh, no, 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 quite the contrary, Betsy. Um, yes, here, here, Mr. Franklin, uh, speaking of God, I say there can be no reason to imagine he would make so glorious a universe merely to abandon it. Seems affirmative. Furthermore, he summarizes the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, may all revere thee and become thy dutiful children and faithful subjects. May thy laws be obeyed on earth as perfectly as they are in heaven. Provide for us this day as thou hast hitherto daily done. Forgive us our trespasses and enable us likewise to forgive those that offend us. Keep us out of temptation and deliver us from evil. Amen. Benjamin Franklin spoke of God Almighty referencing the Lord's Prayer. Around here, we call him El Shaddai because we like the Jewish roots. We go back to our heritage. Benjamin Franklin, or Ben-Yoman, actually his Hebrew name, is part of our heritage, is he not? Let's learn about him now as we consider the faith of our founding fathers. So many of our founding fathers are unknown. Benjamin Franklin is better known. He had faith in God, did he not? He had faith in God. It's interesting that today he's often called a deist. And in his autobiography, which he writes his own autobiography, and he talked about how that young in life he was really enthralled with deism. And within a page, he says, but I quickly rejected it, finding it not being useful, not, and he really kind of talks about how crazy it is. So what people do is they take that quote where he was a deist early in life and ignore the next page where he says, but I quickly rejected that. And so when you look at Franklin, I think it's safe to say he's one of the least religious founding fathers, but least is a comparative term. I mean, are we talking about... I mean, somebody were ministers. That's right. I mean, if you have a hundred preachers in a room, one's going to be the least religious. That's true. And, and so... It's hard to compete with all these Bible scholars. And that's exactly it. And, and Franklin, interestingly enough, I mean, he is a strong, strong defender of religion. One of the great examples is a guy that he helped bring here back in 1772 was, was a guy named Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine had been persecuted in England. Franklin helped him get here. He got him set up in the printing business with Robert Aiken in Philadelphia. And then Thomas Paine starts turning out products like Common Sense, which George Washington says is a real spark plug for the American Revolution. And, and he starts writing all these works. Well, he's really popular now, really well known. And what happens is in, in 1790, just before Franklin dies, he starts writing the manuscript for this book. This is called The Age of Reason. The Age of Reason is a big-time attack on Christians and Jews. Doesn't like the Old Testament, doesn't like the New Testament, but he, he's pro-God. But what happens is before he printed this, and, and at this point, Thomas Paine is just super popular to everybody. He, he sends a manuscript copy of this to his friend Ben Franklin. said, Ben, before I print this, would you read it and look over it? And Franklin read it. He, he wrote back to him and says, you shouldn't print this. 
He said, you're attacking religion. He said, think how many people need religion to restrain them from vice, to support their virtue. Think how many young people need it. He said, you're enchaining the tiger. He said, I advise you to burn this piece before it is read by any other person. Payne ignored him, came out with it. This is where the entire Founding Father community turned against Payne. Washington never talked to him again for the rest of his life. Um, Patrick Henry wrote an entire book refuting this. Elias Boudinot, the president of Congress, wrote an entire book refuting this. He, he came under such attack that when he died in America, there was no cemetery that would allow Payne to be buried in the cemetery. He was buried in a cow pasture. So turning anti-religious back then, and Franklin tried to warn him, he said, this is really a bad deal. We need religion in America. This is so helpful. And when Franklin became the governor of Pennsylvania, 1785, it's interesting, Franklin came up with a plan to raise church attendance in the state. He actually promoted raising church attendance. And there were so many different kinds of churches in there that were. state too. Pennsylvania was one of the more liberal ones in the best of senses. In, in, in the sense of being really inclusive because so many of the colonies were, I'm Congregationalist or I'm Anglican or whatever. Right. And in Pennsylvania, you had Quakers, you had high church, low yes. church, you had Baptists, you had Presbyterians. America at its best. And, yes. and Franklin talks about it. He said, I've been a friend to every denomination and I hope to go out of this world at peace with them all. I promoted, and it's interesting, part of Franklin's change really came when he and George Whitfield became such close friends, the great revivalist. And Franklin began printing Whitfield sermons, and his printing business tripled just by printing Whitfield sermons. They became good friends. And it's interesting that as you look at, at Franklin late in life, as he's approaching what became his death, he gets a letter from one of his close friends, Ezra Stiles, who's the president of Yale University. And Ezra, a reverend, he, he writes Ben, he said, man, we've been friends for a long time. And he said, I, I'm doing this room at Yale to honor founding fathers, and I want to put a picture of you in there. And, and can I have a picture? And, and Franklin writes back and says, well, I don't like any picture I have, but I'm sitting for a portrait, and if I like that, you can have it. And I'm really honored Yale wants to honor me. And so Stiles wrote back and says, we'll take any picture you send. By the way, he said, I've never asked you before. He says, the most important thing in my life is my relationship with Christ. He said, I wish everybody had that relationship except for any personal flaws I might have. I've never asked you, what's your relationship with Christ? And Franklin writes back and he says, that's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Imagine that, living in the American founding, nobody asked him that. And he said, Imagine someone from Yale caring yeah, about that. Yeah, Yale caring, that's right too. And, and so Franklin says, I, I don't know. He says, I've never really looked into Jesus as to whether he's divine or not. He said, he, he might be. He said, but at my age, I'll know soon one way or the other. And he was dead four months later. So who knows what happened? But all the way through life, he considered himself to be Christian and friends of Christians, et cetera. And nobody had ever asked him the question. So even when you look at him as the least religious founding father, I mean, what he did behaviorally was so significant. And maybe one of the, the, the strongest things I'd point to where he had such a dramatic impact on America was in the middle of the Constitutional Convention. He started calling for the Constitutional Convention way back in the 1740s and 50s, so 30 years before it happened. And when it does happen, this is what he's been dreaming of. He's the first guy to call for the United States of America is Ben Franklin. So when it happens, for the first five weeks, it's nothing but fighting and bickering because every state came with their own agenda. You had the New York plan and the Connecticut plan and the Virginia plan. And 
After five weeks, they're leaving and going home in disgust. Alexander Hamilton's going out of there. George Mason's leaving. They're tired of it. That's when Franklin calls them to prayer, reminds them that God is the one who helped us win the revolution. We've gone through the Constitutional Convention without praying. We need to get to prayer. James Madison records it in, in Madison's own writings. And in that call to prayer in about 14 sentences, Ben Franklin quotes 14 different Bible verses to call these guys to prayer. The result is they take three days off the convention. This is a newspaper from the three days that the convention was off. And right here across the left side, you see that the Constitutional Convention went to church together. And while they were there, the Reverend William Rogers prayed over the Constitutional Convention. His prayer was so significant, it made the front page of the newspapers back in the day. When they reassembled after this time of prayer, Franklin and others talk about how the tone changed. They were suddenly cooperating. They suddenly started getting along. They came up with ideas they liked. And 10 weeks later, we come out with a constitution that is the most successful in the history of the world. But it almost didn't happen. And I think it probably would not have happened had not Franklin called them to remember God and get God back in it. Yeah, and it reminds me of the faith of our fathers. That is to say that uh, we're drawing from a biblical worldview. We're, we're beseeching the Creator, and we're coming up with a document um, that so much reflects the kind of values and virtues that are embedded in the biblical text. It is, and it's interesting, too, even to see how many Bible phrases made it into the actual language of the Constitution. Yes. Uh, John Adams specifically talks he references Jeremiah 17.9, has three letters about how that created separation of powers. Yes. So, so much of the Bible actually made it into the language of the Constitution. Yeah, I'm no David Barton, but I've seen drafts with uh, Bible references in the margins as well as they're looking to paper some of this stuff up. Again, I'm no David Barton. It was part of their thinking, for sure. Yes, and I'm glad to have you as part of our thinking as we're taking a look at the faith of our fathers. Thanks, Thank Jeff. you, David. Good to be with you, bro. We hope you're learning as much as we are about the faith of our founding fathers. And I think something that we talked about watching this last segment was that the foundational fathers of the United States of America wrote into our, con our Constitution nuggets of Bible quotes, New Testament and Old Testament. Well, speaking of nuggets, in 1849, they said there's gold in them there hills, and everyone went west for golden nuggets. Mm. There was one Jewish man who went with canvas. He got there, and he realized they're digging up these buried treasures, and they're tearing up their pants. Inasmuch as Betsy Ross sewed a flag together, and you mentioned her earlier, Levi Strauss started making jeans out of canvas, pants out of canvas, came up with denim as well, and the rest is history. Yes, Jews that made a difference in the new world. Levi Strauss, he's from my tribe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we want to claim him too. And, and the little uh, digits, there's a name for him, I looked it up, that go into the jeans there's, that hold them together. There's rivets because they, rivets. Were, they were putting ore in their pockets and tearing up the seams. Right. And, and the rivet was patented, and it remains to this day my tribe. <laughs> Who knew it was a Jew, right? It's good stuff, and it's part of our history, as are the founding fathers of our faith. That's right. We leave our program today with a song from our founder, Zola Levitt. And a word from Scripture, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. <laughs>